Today, many Jewish families don't send their children to private Jewish day school. Some parents homeschool, others don't live near a school, and others simply cannot afford full-time Jewish day school. Each of these families needs a solution that offers their children serious Jewish learning. Kita can help. Kita is serious online Torah learning at an affordable price. With Kita, middle school-aged children receive up to four online lessons each week and also participate in weekly Zooms with other kids from around the world. For the coming school year, Kita offers two plans. In the Chumash and Navi plan, students will receive two self-guided lessons in Chumash Shmot and Navi Shmuel Aleph, and then participate in a weekly Zoom. In the Mishnah and Gemara plan, students will receive two self-guided lessons in Mishnah Brachot and Gemara Elu Metziot, and then participate in a weekly Zoom. Registration is now open for the fall of 2022, which begins on August 29th. Is your family new to Kita? You can register for a two-week trial at no cost. To learn more about how Kita can help your children grow and thrive in Jewish learning, visit kita.org. That's K-I-T-A-H dot O-R-G. Weekly, our weekly podcast about religious Zionism, modern orthodoxy, and everything, everything some things in between. Um, welcome back, everybody. We're here after the Chagim. There's a, a lot going on in the modern orthodox slash religious Zionist world. First and foremost, I'm here with Harab Johnny Solomon. Hello, Harab Johnny. How was your, how were your hello, Chagim? Hello. It was great. Lovely. Enjoyed the Chagim. Lost a bit of the voice for singing and dancing on Simchat Torah. We're ready to get started with all the projects that have been left till after the Chagim. <laughs> Achorea Chagim, there's like a term in Israel called yeah. Achorea Chagim. Like if you want to do anything, you call up a repair guy, you talk to Bituach Lumi, I don't know, your house burned down, the fire department calls you and says, we'll take care of it. Achorea Chagim. It's a very, very Israeli phenomenon. And Rabbanit Mali Braski. Hello, Rabbanit Mali. How are you? Hello. How are you? Okay. Good. Uh, and joining us today as our special guest is Rabbi Dr. Yoel Finkelman. Hello, Rabbi Dr. Finkelman. Hi, not a rabbi, just a doctor. You're not a rabbi? You never got smicha? No, never finished smicha. Uh, could have. Okay, Dr. Yoel Finkelman, who is a uh, full disclosure, former roommate of mine, and I consider a very close friend, but we don't have him on just because he's our friend. Why do we have Rabbi, uh, excuse me, Dr. Finkelman on? A number of weeks ago, in the Musaf Shabbat of Makor Rishon, uh, and Makori Shon is the leading religious Zionist uh, newspaper. I, I think it's, I'll call it the leading religious Zionist newspaper that people actually pay for. Um, and um, in that, there is a weekly section called the Musaf Shabbat, which I believe every thinking uh, religious Zionist should get their hands on and read, you know, you know, kind of find everything you like, but it's just, it's a, it's a fascinating, uh, um, uh, I would call it journal of Jewish thought, maybe for the lay people, maybe not. And in it, Yoel uh, wrote a piece about postmodernism. And I read the piece. And because he's such a good friend of mine, I read it again. And as I told you before, Yoel, I, I don't understand 
what postmodernism is, okay? And then, I don't know if this is the same or not, how you're defining it and how you think other people are defining it. So if you would, uh, consider me a lay person. I'm not a philosopher. I don't play one on TV. Uh, what, why did you write an article in McCorby Shown about postmodernism? And, and then I'll ask you why you care so much about it. Okay, so f- first I want to say thank you for the invite to join your podcast, um, uh, especially uh, Molly and Ruvan are some of my favorite people in the world to disagree with. Um, so um, <laughs> That's I wanna, <laughs> let, let me let me try to um, let me try to articulate uh, what I think postmodernism, the term, means in uh, kind of broader academic and philosophical discourse, uh, and some of what it's taken to mean in religious Zionist discourse, and then say a few words about uh, why I felt the need to say something about the phenomenon. Uh, basically kind of to do this briefly. Um, postmodernism naturally is a response to modernism. The kind of the bullet point on modernism is that there was this idea that reason, universal reason could be drafted to the enterprise of figuring out the world and making the world a better place. And if we just followed universal reason, then we could figure out how the world works. Um, we could understand science. And just like we're making um, technological advantages and uh, advances using science, we can make political and ethical advances using uh, using reason as well. And World War One and World War Two kind of put an end to that sort of thinking. The idea that somehow the more scientific and advanced intellectually uh, the society, the more moral and the more um, ethical and the more good it would be. Uh, and intellectuals and artists and regular citizens were trying to figure out, okay, now what, right? It's clear that science is onto something on the one hand, but on the other hand, it doesn't seem to be a, a panacea. It doesn't seem to solve all of our problems. In some ways, it makes them worse. Um, and there were lots of responses to this. Uh, and one of them uh, became the term postmodernism. Uh, it's a term that, uh, often means a bunch of different things to different people, um, but it has a couple of common denominators. The first is a skepticism about meta-narratives. The idea that a meta-narrative is the idea that there's kind of one perspective, one method that we could use. And if we adopt that perspective and method, we will explain, we can explain everything. There's some single overarching method or overarching story that we can tell that would explain everything about the universe. Um, and and postmodernists became skeptical of meta narratives and invested more in Wait, smaller. Let, narratives. let me just understand again. I'm playing the. I really just understand meaning. Like modernism felt if you only all of us became communists or only all of us became became capitalists or all of us became fascists, then the world would solve its problems. Is that what you're trying to yeah, say? Marxism. Marxism. At least you know Marxist Marxism. Um, was a modernist uh, idea. It said, well, let's figure out the science of how e- economics and culture works. And when we figure that out scientifically, then we'll be able to make the world a utopian better place. Okay. Didn't really work out that way. So the postmodernist um, said baloney. That doesn't, it, it, see, we see clearly yeah, that, that it worked. Don't give me a single overarching narrative that explains everything. Instead, I'm going to do okay with smaller micro narratives. There might be a narrative that works for my community, might be a narrative that works for my family, might be a narrative that I use when I read literature or when I uh, do sociology, 
but I don't claim to explain everything on the basis of a, a single overarching story. Um, so that's a big piece of postmodernism. Another piece is a love of irony. And the love of irony comes from a kind of deconstruction of some of the things that rationalism tried to make foundational. Like there are certain core ideas, reason, the self, uh, the mind. Wait, can, um, can, I, can I ask a question? I'm gonna go back and ask a question. So what would a postmodernist say to a religious Jew who says, I believe in revelation. I believe that there's a God and a creator who gave an ethical uh, document to mankind and wants mankind somehow to work out bringing his kingdom to the world. Um, you know, I, I think a postmodernist uh, and, and Rav Shagar, the Israeli. I mean, is, uh, isn't that Rabbi a universal vision? Isn't that, I mean, wouldn't that be? Yeah, I, and, and I think the immodest version of that statement in which it's not I, Ruvain Spolter, or I, Yoel Finkelman. Uh, when I look at the world, I see it through Torah-tinted glasses, and I try to make sense out of it using the categories that I learned from Torah. And that provides me a mechanism for myself, my family, my community uh, to, build, to build meaning, to, make, to, to do good in the world. You know, that's a kind of modest version. The immodest version, which is... Everything is in Torah. Everything that I say with great confidence in the name of Torah, that's it. There's nothing else to talk what, about. What There's if no I say, So if, that if, that's the, if that's the kind of thing that's, that's um, uh, so, well, first of all, um, I don't, I don't have, as I, as I wrote in the article, I don't have, you know, anything invested in postmodernism. I'm not here to defend postmodernism. No, no, this is what I'm trying to as understand, such. meaning I believe um, but, we all just... We yeah, I think, I, think, I, think that, I think that an awareness of, on the one hand, uh, religion and Torah have a lot invested in the idea that Moshe Emet v'Torah to Emet, right? There's, there's truth that is embedded in Torah. Um, and when we claim that, you know, God communicated to the world through Torah, we're making a claim that postmodernist critique of, of meta-narratives is going to have, you know, is going to push back against. And that's fine. I don't have to agree with, you know, postmodern critique of meta-narratives. I, although I think there's a lot of wisdom. No, okay, there. I, just wanted to, I but, just wanted to understand. You're saying that... Yeah, but okay, but I, also think, I also think that Torah is aware of the fact, for example, that within that Torah, there are multiple narratives that work. There's Beit Hillel, there's Beit Shammai. There's, there's you know, the Maimonidean rationalists and the, and the mystical Kabbalists. And anybody who's ever learned a Mishnah or a Daf Gemara or the Midrash knows that um, that whatever Torah's commitment to the truth of Torah, it's also aware of that embedded in the canon of Torah are all kinds of mutually exclusive opinions. And, you know, and we, we don't, even within Torah, we don't have some kind of simple meta-narrative that explains everything. Be, I mean, maybe Rambam thought that he did, but the Zohar didn't like that so much. Or, or I'll, I'll let Ma Ma Molly's got her hand raised. I just seems yeah, like, go ahead, Ma. No, go it just ahead, seems yeah. to me like there. Yes, there are disagreements, Beit Shammai and Beit Hillel, but there is a meta narrative. There is a larger narrative within that all Beit Shammai and Beit Hillel would, would agree with Hashem Echad Echad Kol Haris. How we're going to get there might be a different. Yeah, might be I, think, I think if you dig deep enough, you'll discover that the that the debates within the Jewish canon get down really to core things. What do you mean when you say Hashem, God, right? The Kabbalists think something very different than the rationalists when they use the term God. 
Uh, I'm sorry, Molly, so, you wanted to say something. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So my question for you is the following. Um, I appreciate the way that you're framing it in terms of meta narratives and minor narratives. And you're kind of alighting that like, and therefore everybody can have their own minor narrative within Judaism and um, we can all live in harmony in our meta narrative world. Right. And I think that that's, that's a, a very nice way. I would call that perhaps soft postmodernism that a person who is, let's say, attracted to the tenets of postmodernism will go for um, because it fits with their worldview that like, as you're saying, that somebody who has a more pluralistic perspective and would like to, as you said, dig deep into the into the um, vast, I agree with you, um, options of meta narrative that you have within Judaism. But I'm wondering if maybe you're being a little too, I'll use the word soft again, on the definition of postmodernism, because it, I, and again, part of the problem with postmodernism is that it's very squishy. It's very broad. It's, it, it applies to a lot of areas. There's literature, there's culture, there's philosophy, there's architecture, there's industri industrial postmodernism. Like it's really all over the place, which is why I really worked hard to see if I could get an answer to the following question, which I'm now going to pose to Yoel. But it does seem to me that the majority of people are comfortable identifying postmodernism not just with criticizing meta narratives but with criticizing well let me i'll read you like a line this is from an article by somebody named dean g e u r a s i you can all guess how that's pronounced she's from southwest South, southwest texas state university okay um he says the suppositions to which i refer are those with that postmodernists reject meaning these are things that postmodernists do not believe that there is objective truth, objective moral value, and an intelligible universe. Now, obviously, that's kind of harsh. Um, but here's from Stanley Gretz's premier, pr primer, primer uh, on postmodernism. Postmodernism affirms that whatever we accept as truth, and even the way we envision truth, are dependent on the community in which we participate. There is no absolute truth. Rather, truth is relative to the community in which we participate, which I think is if you drill down, right, that is... I mean, that's very to similar me, to what you always say. You're saying it's very truth, similar. Truth, truth is what you what, what yes, works but, for but, you but, and but your But that also means that there is no absolute truth, right? Um, and that expresses itself in a lot of different ways. Like, if you say my truth, this is my truth, this is your truth, right? But is there also the truth, right? Is there also an objective truth that we could, that, that like actually objectively exists, right? And I think postmodernists would be uncomfortable answering yes to that question. Now, again, I have a lot of empathy for the idea of, you know, I'm fundamentally a Rav Cook slash Rav Soloveitchik, you know, person. So certainly in Rav Cook, the idea, Rav Cook would, would even said that we are actually closer to each other, like like um, in all of our meta-narratives, let's just say, say it that way, right? We're all minor narratives. We are closer to each other, like the atheist and the, relig the religious Jew are closer to each other than either one is to the absolute reality of God, right? So, you know, Rav Cook was a big, right. my, my truth, yeah. your truth, complexity perspective. However, right, the saying that we, I'll explain in one second why I'm, why I'm pointing this out, saying that therefore there is no actual ultimate truth and that we as humans should give up attempting to even strive to achieve that ultimate truth, uh, to me is a dangerous rabbit hole to go down. So I I'm just pointing it out because 
there's a difference between saying we all have different perspectives and all different perceptions and between saying there is no there is no there is no truth there actually is no absolute or ultimate truth so yo i'm just curious you know what so i mean i want to i want to yeah. do a very quick tangent on something else before i address your question directly because we kind of dived right into the yeah yeah I, we didn't get to what yeah. you all said in the article I didn't, right. I didn't but i'm just saying the whole yeah. idea of meta narratives is is a very nice it sounds and, beautiful. And of, it's rainbows and butterflies. And, but when you dig deep underneath it and you say, oh, so, I don't actually believe in objective truth or objective morality, that's where the issues come. And I don't, I, I'm kind of going to pin Yoel, you know, like the butterfly with the pin and, and, and kind of because, because I respect him so much, you know, actually, you know, lay that out in front of him. So 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 let me let, let me again do a, just a brief tangent because we've again dived into this epistemology philosophical question about the nature of truth and part of what I wanted to say in the article is first of all not everybody who's aware that truth is among other things a social construction right truth is some of the things that we pick up in the particular schools we went to in the particular language that we speak in the particular culture that we absorb by accident where we were born right not everybody who thinks that is a postmodernist, right? You can be aware of that and be a pretty standard issue anthropologist, a pretty standard, you don't have to, and much of, of the direction that postmodernism took in its critique of, of modern optimism and modern uh, uh, dedication to rationality was kind of endless irony. And we're just, it doesn't matter whether things exist. We'll juxtapose, you know, Shakespeare with the Simpsons and we'll, we'll just, we'll have long discussions about, you know, things that don't exist in the world, you know, fantasy football, right? We have reality and then we have a game and then we have a game that's based on the game. And, and like, there's all these kind of layers in which we never get down to, you know, what's real. And postmodernism was happy to kind of, you know, do these aesthetics, the art, the the theater, the 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 popular culture that, you know, as I mentioned in the article, like Seinfeld, the show about nothing is a postmodern kind of phenomenon because um, it's not about anything. Right. And and some of the critiques of postmodernism came. From yeah, but, but Seinfeld is, said, is Seinfeld is about a, a, a bunch of vapid, self-absorbed, self-obsessed yeah. people. I, I, I'm and, not, and they're I'm funny. Not, and they're funny, but right. they're terrible. They're terrible human right. beings. So, well, I don't know if they're terrible human beings. They're just kind of vapid human beings, which I think is part of the point, right? And wait, some they're, of the they're, critique... wait a second. They're self-absorbed human beings who care nothing about the way they affect other people. You know, how many Seinfeld episodes ended with, eh, that's too bad. <laughs> yeah, okay. I'm, and I'm fine. I mean, I don't think that the ethics of Seinfeld is a good thing, right? I think, and, and I'm going to join the critique of postmodernism that came from lots of people, not only on the left, who said the world still matters. We can't afford to be about nothing. We have to be about politics. We have to be about ethics. We have to get out in the world and deal with human suffering and the search for Kedusha. And we can't afford to be about nothing. We can't play games. Uh, with with Campbell's soup cans and think that somehow we've done something good in the world. Okay, take me back um, to your article. Explain to me what you said. Explain to our listeners what you said who didn't read it. Let's go back okay, to your article. What I'm trying to say is that is that among all, you know, you have critiques of postmodernism. Uh, well, I'm trying to say two things. Number one, that postmodernism became an aesthetic, an idea of art in which uh, it's art about nothing, or it's art that's so self-referential that you can't quite figure out what it's about, right? And so, so pop art, right? Um, 
uh, art of Campbell's soup cans. Like, what's that about? Um, it's not about truth. It's not about justice. It's not about, you know, sanctity. It's not about the human condition. It's kind of about nothing. And, and, and a lot of the critiques of postmodernism from non-religious circles were politics still matters. The real world still matters. And again, not everybody who's aware of the social construction of, of knowledge, who's aware that ideas have a, have a context, is necessarily a postmodernist because some of them say, well, yeah, that's true. And now let's get our hands dirty trying to make the world a better place. Um, um, so and, and now and I think part of that is getting into kind of leads me back into Molly's question specifically about the philosophy, about the notion of truth. Um, and, um, and here I'm going to say two things, one about postmodernists and the other about me, right? The first is postmodernists will say, yeah, Molly, there is no absolute truth. Or rather, maybe there is, but it's totally hypothetical because anybody who tells you they have access to, to absolute truth is telling you the absolute truth in their own language, in their own culture, from their own assumptions about topics that happen to interest them for historical and cultural reasons. Um, and you know what? There's something to that, right? There's something to that. Uh, I'm pretty skeptical of people who tell me, I know the absolute truth. Uh, those are people who generally, as a matter of practice, if that's the introduction to your speech, uh, then I'm probably not listening too carefully, right? Because you're probably arrogant uh, and you probably don't know what you're talking about. Um, so um, now, and then I can talk about myself, right? In which I personally, as a religious person, don't have a lot invested in the notion of absolute truth. I just don't. Meaning, um, I can ask the questions about, you know, the nature of reality, and I could ask the questions of whether the Zohar or the Rambam, the Kabbalists or the rationalists are right. I don't know. I don't know. And I'm okay in my little world in which I try to care for myself and I try to care for my community and I try to care for my family and I try to make the country that I live in a, a, a better place succeed or fail. But I'm okay with a certain kind of modesty that isn't postmodern, but is a modesty that says, let other people deal with absolute truth. I don't know quite know what that is. And I don't think it's a really a good investment of my time and effort to try to, to, try to you know, pin it down with capital A, capital T, absolute truth. Okay, now you still haven't gotten to your article from what I understand, meaning you still haven't gotten to what you wrote about in McCorvey Shown. And then by the way, yeah, all, this is really all this is really fascinating to me and I think an important introduction to your article to understand what it is you were trying to say, which was? Okay, so we kind of dealt a little bit with the first half of the article. The second half of the article is, is a critique of how the term postmodern is used by religious Zionists, educators, and rabbis, and intellectual leaders. And it's a term that appears all over the place, and there seem to be two definitions that are at play. One is a more extreme version of what Molly was talking about. Not despite all of the of the self-awareness we have of our own intellectual location and limitations. Um, there is an absolute truth that's hard to get at. Not that, but version number one in religious Zionist discourse is there is no truth. Truth is meaningless. Okay, and therefore, postmodernists post will say there's no truth at all. Truth is only determined by the whims of a random individual. And therefore, life has no meaning. 
um, and there's nothing that you can do that matters. Um, and there's a kind of a kind of confusing postmodernism with nihilism. Um, the idea that really nothing matters at all. No, I just, uh, the wrote, second... I just wrote to myself, postmodernism, arrow, nihilism. And I'll explain why I, don't, <laughs> why I, why okay. I do think it's closer so, related than you. That's just funny. So the, the second version, which is a little more intellectually sophisticated, is, is a version uh, uh, pronounced in a, in a, in a book by, by Rav Chaim Navon, in which he argues that postmodernism is, is peruk l'shem peruk. Uh, dismantling things for the sake of dismantling them. The examples that concern him are gender, uh, family, and and nation. Um, and now, all that is fine and good. But then there's another addition to the argument that that religious Zionist speakers make when they talk about these two versions of postmodernism, because they also claim that this postmodernism are is, they legit? Are these legitimate? I don't know. I don't know in the world of philosophy. I don't get it. But are these legitimate? sort of schools of postmodernist people? Meaning, is that so, an accurate description? I, I, think, I think simply no. I think that there is no significant group of people in the world who are radical relativists who think that there are no truths and truth cannot be found and there's no point in arguing, it's just whims of people. And I think that there are more or less no groups of people out there other than a handful of, of artists for whom, you know, Breaking things down for the sake of breaking them down is what they're involved in. I think there's no group of people like that. And, and there are lots of people who disagree with religious Zionist ideology, a lot of people who disagree with religious Zionist politics. There's a lot of people who disagree with, um, who want to change what's happening in families, who want to change definitions of gender. And these things are understandably of concern and threatening to a conservative religious community. But I don't think that there's anybody out there who does that because they think that there's no truth whatsoever um, uh, or because they think they're just taking things apart for the sake of taking things apart. They're doing it because they think that they're right and they have a claim to make. Okay, I want to go to, uh, to Johnny. Johnny's been waiting patiently as he always does. And he has some things to ask, I guess. Johnny, what's up? Well, I'm, I'm just jotting down some thoughts and I really appreciate how you've outlined some of these concerns, your article and this conversation. I, I want to pick up on something you've just said, Joel, and then and then come back to the point you make in your article. You said, as a religious Jew, I don't have much invested in absolute truth. Um, and, and I want to ask the question because you know that different thinkers have been trying to grapple uh, with the ideas that you're exploring, one of whom was Rabbi Sachs, who basically distinguishes between the multiple truths that exist on earth and the absolute truth that exists in heaven. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that you will confront in absolute uh, sense, the absolute truth, nor that you can necessarily define it. But as a religious Jew, I have some kind of relationship with God and with heaven in one way or another, whether we call it Yirat Shamaim, uh, etc. And so as a religious Jew, I do have things invested in absolute truth, even if I can't define it. Even if I can't give expression to what that necessarily is, I'm in a relationship with an absolute. And so, so I want I, to just challenge you on that. So I, on the one hand, I understand the concern, right? And, and notice how I said, I don't have a huge amount invested in absolute yeah. truth, which is, which is a way of, of pinning, of describing my own experience, right? I'm not saying that there's no value to search for it. I'm not saying that other people shouldn't have a relationship to absolute truth. I'm saying I personally don't have a lot invested in it. And, and, and therefore, I'm going to push back against your question with a question of my own, 
what does it mean for you, Johnny, to say, I have a relationship to absolute truth that I can't define? If you no, can't I define said, it, in what way is it an absolute truth? Firstly, I have a relationship to the absolute. I believe God is the absolute. Uh, and the fact that I can't define something doesn't negate that relationship with it. I, I struggle to define love, but I, I feel it. The inability to define things doesn't necessarily mean they don't exist. So you gave a few examples of not, you know, being a Maimonidean or, or, or a mystic per se. I'm simply saying my understanding of religious Jews, they're in a relationship with God in some way or another. I, I myself am not a philosopher. So the fact that I struggle to give words to that dynamic doesn't negate the fact that by being somebody who is religious and believes that my origins stem not just from my parents, but from God, means that there is some kind of a relationship between myself and the absolute. Um, and, and I think God is pretty important, probably more important than Maimonides and the Zohar, however important they are in terms of the Jewish literary tradition. So if we put God first, then surely the notion of truth matters, even if on earth, the notion of the, sing the singular truth, the absolute truth, is impossible to necessarily encounter. So I'm, I'm very, very comfortable with, with the way you formulated that, especially in the name of Rabbi Sachs, that, there, that there's something positive, comforting, intellectually helpful about the notion of the absolute as a kind of placeholder, as something to strive for, as a, key, as a keystone that helps hold the system together. But part of me also, in my day-to-day -day life and even in moments of religious transcendence, um, it's just not front and center. Um, my revered teacher, Rabbi Eliezer Cohen, uh, who's not well known outside of the people who grew up in Detroit, but was a, a wonderful, wonderful man, uh, once uh, my father suggested to him, maybe the only difference between a believer and a non-believer is that a believer need not feel guilty for feeling thankful. Uh, and Rabbi Cohen said, well, maybe that's enough. Meaning, um, uh, meaning um, I don't know what God is. Finally, full stop. Uh, neither do lots of other philosophers and religious people. But I do like, in my own experience, feel grounded in my own experience of thankfulness, in the experience of Kedushah that I experience on rare occasions, in Kiyu Mitzvot. And those things for me are very grounded. And I'm willing to accept a certain kind of softer, more local narrative or meaning that comes with that. Okay. So let me see if I understand. Okay. You you have this definition of postmodernism, which doesn't threaten you as a religious person. You feel, and the way I understand it then in your article is, you feel that uh, people in the religious Zionist community are sort of, I would say, confusing or misappropriating the term postmodernism to define a different, to, and using it to, as, to describe a different phenomenon that they feel threatens traditional communities, conservative communities, as it were, that has nothing to do with postmodernism but is a threat nonetheless or from their perspective. Is that accurate? Is that basically it? Yeah, I think, I think that that's it, although it's more than just a misappropriation, meaning slippery terms, you can define them how you want for the sake of the conversation. I mean, the postmodernists should be, to my perspective, should be really thrilled about that. Like, you know- Yeah, I mean, I kind of joke that there's something <laughs> postmodern about this conversation because they're arguing 
very seriously about something that doesn't exist. Um, but uh, but the thing that really concerns me is the way that the use of the term postmodernism becomes a sleight of hand, meaning there's real serious questions about how modern nations came to be. There are real serious questions about the historicity of the nuclear family. There are real serious questions about patriarchy. There are real serious questions about how gender might actually in the real world be more fluid than some people think it is. There are real you serious can, questions about legi legitimacy of the Jewish people. Yeah. And all of these things, any question you ask, if it's a serious question. I, I meant that I meant that in a way that was sort of agenda driven, using philosophy as a tool, using these serious yeah, questions right. as so a way of driving comes against. Along, if somebody comes along and says, you know, the, the nation is a modern construction and therefore Am Yisrael doesn't exist and has no right to be Zionism, therefore has no right to be where it is. Right. That's that that is a trend that exists in the world and the progressive left. And it's extremely troubling. Um, but it's not because people think that there's no truth and not because people think that they're taking things apart for the sake it, of No, because they think apart. that the constructs because, are foreign, are, are fictitious constructs. And that's yeah, exactly what you so then there's, But that's there, the way you describe postmodernism. It's because your construct is, is something that you made up and it's no less. And the fact that your construct existed 5,000, 3,000 years ago doesn't make it any less meaningful than the construct we, 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 we built three years ago. Which is exactly isn't the reason that postmodernism? Isn't that postmodernism? I, I don't think it is because postmodernism uh, would be much less concerned about the political consequences. I mean, it all depends on what you mean. It sounds to me we're arguing but, about: Are we sitting in a lecture hall, you know, in in a in an Ivy League school after having a few beers discussing it abstractly, so, or is that same so professor let me, let me leading to a protest in the Quad against Israel using the exact same argument? So let me try to follow it up. Uh, by, by suggesting the following, that when we deal with a genuine real agenda to undermine Zionism because nations are modern constructions and Zionism is a modern invention um, that has, you know, doesn't really have uh, um, precedent in the past. The way to deal with that is not to say, oh, these are postmodernists who don't believe in any truth at all and therefore they're... The way to deal with it is... Uh, first of all, to pay taxes and vote and serve in the army and serve in Shirut Lumi and do things to make sure that we get to stay here. Um, but also, no, that's intellectually, not my concern. My concern is the young people going to that college, going to that university, so the religious so growing up community. questioning, wait, one second, what does it mean that I'm Jewish? Because my parents are Jewish. Why should I care that? Like, that so you know, the that? religious Zionist community has to dig into Benedict Anderson, the historian who deals with how nations are, modern nations are different from pre-modern ones. To my reading, he exaggerates, and to get into the nitty gritty of that and have that conversation, but not to not to brush it off and say, "Oh, these are people who don't believe in truth." That's not. No, they do believe in truth. They just have a different historical conception, which we, as a religious Zionist community, have a lot invested in countering using the tools of good history and good policy, not in exaggerated claims about there's no such thing as truth. Okay. Thank you, Molly. Okay, I just want to say three quick things, um, and the most important is probably the last thing you said, Yo, Yo. so the other things I'm going to try to keep brief. First of all, my own, you know, I, we don't have to dig too deep into the epistemology, you know, two philosophers talking to each other, but I just want to point out that for me, one of the giant pitfalls of postmodernism. <laughs> don't dig too deep, but let's dig a little. <laughs> but I just have to just make this point because it, 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 I, I, I think so. I think postmodernism 
contradicts itself in this manner, right? Postmodernism argues, or certainly certain postmodern thinkers, especially the ones that say who are going to be, you know, the ones about narrative and literature, and as you said, you know, um, inability to communicate with each other. Okay, so basically, those postmodernists actually do believe that there are no objective, mutually agreed upon truths, right? Everything is, as you, you're saying, socially constructed, right? I'd say a more, right, you know, depending on where I am, and you're, you're painting it as very cultural, right? I think there are others who would argue that the, that the driving mode, they wouldn't say it's like, okay, well, you know, you have this tribe, and then you have the Jews. They would say it's all about power, and the narrative that succeeds is the most powerful one, and that introduces another dangerous element into postmodernism, but that's a different conversation. I'm just pointing out that that's another piece to, to add into this point, because it, it it adds to postmodernism another dangerous kind of, I'd say, thought trends. But my question always to the postmodernists is, if there's no way of, of, like I'm asking you yourself, because you're kind of holding these two sides, there's no way to, to, to really get to absolute truth. It's beyond human comprehension, right? So again, when I, when I had this conversation, I, I went up to the professor, Professor R.J. Snell, and, and we were reading a piece about postmodernism, and the guy said, there's no absolute truth. The one thing you have to fight for is good against evil. And I went up to Professor Snell, and I said, why fight against good against evil? Like, if there's no truth, how do you know that good is good and evil is evil? Like, where does that come from if there's no way to know absolute truth? And he could not give me a satisfying answer to that question. He was just like, well, the person who wrote this really believes in good and he, he really doesn't, he really thinks evil's bad. So I was like, the whole system doesn't, it's a self-contradictory system. But that's, again, that's an epistemological question. But, but to me, it's an important one just because I, I don't think that postmodernism is, I, I, don't, I don't think, I think that at the end of the day, you can't, how can you be a postmodernist and not believe you can arrive at any truths? I'm not saying absolute truth and I'm not saying I have all the truth, but at zero truths and then still have values that you fight for. So that's issue number one. Issue number two is I very much resonate with Johnny. Um, there's a wonderful article by somebody named Peter Lightheart and it's called Solomon. She does her homework, Yoel. I you can't mess around. Solomon among the postmoderns. And this was I'm, one of the other reasons I wanted to raise it is because it's about Kohelet. You have to a, send it to me by email. You will love this article. It's beautiful. Uh, Johnny will love this article too. And it's basically a description of Kohelet as a, a piece of postmodern work, right? And meaning the sense that what's the Sounds point right, of anything? Nothing means right? anything. Nothing means stupid. anything. Everything I strive for is useless, right? However, says says this says the author of the work. What's what saves Shlomo, and the, uh, he doesn't say this, but I'll say this. Presumably, the reason Chazal canonized it is that Shlomo does what Johnny does, which is say, in Tachat Hashemesh, there's no truth, right? Under the heavens, there's no truth, but there is a God beyond the heavens, right? There is an Elohim. He is truth, and the only thing that will give my life meaning is if I anchor myself to that truth so that I know that there's truth and I and that's what's going to save me and any potential meaning that I can derive from my life that's really lasting beyond the like kind of you know okay this person has this political perspective and this person has that political perspective but if I want ultimate meaning that's going to save my soul it's going to be somehow tethering myself to that divine and that's really important and I think that's for 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 religious Jews, you know, I think you have to start thinking about God and think about 
the word of God and, and what God wants from us as, as part of that. Um, and the third thing that I'll just respectfully question you about, and you know, maybe I'll even say I disagree with you, is that, you, you, first of all, I have a lot of empathy for a lot of sympathy and agreement with a lot of what you're saying and the examples that you brought, um, I think are good examples, right? Extremists in the religious Zionist world who just kind of use postmodernism as a um, straw man or as a, a punching bag for anything they don't like. Um, you know, and then they just say, oh, poo poo, and therefore believe my absolute truth. I agree with that. At the same time, I think it's also still a little disingenuous to say that this movement that we're seeing in the world, this increasing, this increasing movement that Ruby is like intuitively understanding of like moral relativism, cultural relativism, um, it, 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 disdain for, for tradition as having, having, holding eternal values that humans have struggled for over centuries has nothing to say that that has nothing to do with postmodernism, I think is a little bit too, um, I would say kind to the postmodernists. I think that that there's some type of correlation, right? And I would say I would go even farther and say there's even some type of causation between the world that we're living in and and postmodern thought. I also agree with you that that you're also correct, which is why I think people have realized to stop using the word postmodern. But I'll just give one final example. We had a, we had the, we had the um, principal of um, one of the girls' high schools here speak. This was quite a while ago at this point, um, and he was speaking about how to educate the young women in his high school. And he said, "Listen, this generation." He didn't. I think he might have even used the word postmodern, right? But he's like, "This generation is not our generation. They will question authority. They don't believe in absolute truth, and they believe very much in their own narrative." And therefore, we have to teach them understanding who they are and where they come from. And therefore, we have to have a perspective that embraces those things, right? And therefore, our, our school is very much about personal responsibility. And therefore, we're always open to questioning. And therefore, we have, you know, we have a lot of acceptance of their, their different perspectives. Um, he was buying into a lot of these tenets and saying the only way to reach today's youth is if we buy into them. I happen not to agree with that either. But my point is, um, right to me, actually, to, to say, me, this is like to me, this Molly is the jumping point of the discussion. Correct. This is the crux. But, right, the, but, meaning, y'all, like your whole, y'all's whole context of of like, are they using the term right or they're not using the correct. term right? Like, I, I'm like I, as a philosopher, you, you could, that's, that's important. Yeah, but I, I really don't care. What's yeah. much more important to me is, uh, are like I speak underlying like my teaching and everything I stand for is a certain. Like when well, you want to call it you all an absolute truth or a relative truth or whatever, but there are tenets of belief that I believe in that are important to me that are under my that are you know that that are anchoring uh, the life that I lead and what I want to raise my children as and what I want to teach my students. And if if they utterly reject the the very values of truth that I that I'm basing everything I teach on, do we have any common way of communicating with them? Because Molly, no matter what that teacher does in the end. They're just going to ultimately say, oh, well, that's your narrative. And that's not my narrative is different. And today I like it tomorrow. I don't like it. And, you know, like all of religious instruction and transmission and misora is predicated upon this very idea. So, you know, I don't care if you call it, you know, flubity, flubity, flu. You know, it doesn't matter what you call it. It's dangerous and frightening to think that I have no common language with my grandchildren because they're being raised with a set of values that says, Forget don't respect grandpa. Grandpa was raised with a certain understanding of the world. It's just irrelevant to me. 
And therefore, I can choose to do what I want. I can like his tradition or not like his tradition, but believe in his God, not believe in his God. But, you know, how, how do you how do you have a Jewish people with that in mind? I, I don't know. So I, I know your kids. And I, so I think I Johnny has to be Right. I, I suspect that your grandchildren uh, are not being raised with that uh, with that set of values, but uh, yours in particular. But I, I, think I don't know about that at all, because at some point they're going to be going to school and going to university and reading the culture and reading the books. So I, and you know what I'm saying? And the fantasies and the worlds in which the their fantasy people live. They don't believe in anything and nothing is real. Agreed. Agreed. It doesn't matter what you call it. Call it postmodernism or something else. I think that both of you are vastly exaggerating the impact of hard, strong, extreme relativism on anybody. I think most people, even people who it's about in some conversations are willing to end conversations by saying, listen, you know, I'm a Protestant, you're a Jew, we have different ways of looking at things, which is not a bad way to, you know, end a conversation. I think most people are still having serious conversations about politics, about community, about culture, about values, about family, about history. People are having conversations that are to a significant degree based on evidence, based on ethics, based on searching for better ways to, to be in the world. I'm way sounding way more optimistic than I normally do. Yeah, what's going I, on? I think, this is like, I, 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 think, <laughs> I think I think that most people are having conversations in which they're trying to figure things out and, and or a lot of people are having conversations which they're trying to figure things out they're trying to make the world a better place they're they're trying to mass evidence for the positions or or come up with arguments about why their ways of seeing things are good and my sense is that you're both kind of exaggerating the extent to which extreme relativism is really a cultural force um i have, I, I have to be honest i have no way of knowing I, I don't live in those worlds i have no way of knowing okay we're gonna as we often do in our podcast as all our listeners know we're gonna turn it to johnny to uh bring us home maybe johnny could ask a question if you want and then and then take us home well the truth is until a couple of weeks ago it was hard for me to square this circle in terms of day-to-day -day living i've mentioned rabbi Sachs's approach that there is the ultimate truth in heaven but nevertheless we have these multiple truths on earth we've mentioned rav shagar who makes reference to postmodernism and offers a few interesting uh, pathways. But uh, a couple of weeks ago, I, I picked up actually an old order book, which uh, very much piqued my interest. And I don't know if you've yet seen it. Uh, sadly, as we know, Bonin Neuwirth died about a year and a half, two, two years ago. I actually interviewed him just a few months before he died. And he uh, published a book just a few months before he died called Gesha Alacha, which was translated to, into, into English. Uh, just a few months ago, his second book, uh, actually it's not his second book, his final book was published posthumously titled Geshere Emuna. Uh, and the subtitle of the book is Shelot Anetzak Mamadat Postponadoni. And in here, in his first chapter, and we, he has basically four major essays, and then there's a collection of other essays that he penned uh, at other stages in his life uh, put together in the book. But in his first chapter, he addresses this question. And he doesn't attempt to define postmodernism, although certainly he frames his conversation very much surrounding the issues that we've discussed. But he actually takes the words of Rav Cook very seriously. In fact, overall, Geshe Emunah is really a super commentary on some of the ideas of Rav Cook. Uh, and Rav Neuveth here actually makes the argument that some of the outcomes of postmodernism are a blessing. And they actually align to some of the core values of Judaism that sometimes we've overlooked. And for those who are interested in trying to see 
how to see that silver lining in what has perhaps been portrayed by some as being a dark cloud, I'd love to recommend this first chapter in Geshe Emunah, where he basically explains that the idea of disagreement and discourse, the recognition that we can't all hold the truth, is actually a substantive value within Judaism. And he pushes us to try and see the glimmers of, of light in this, this new generation that we're living within, uh, and suggest, in fact, this could open doors to young people who perhaps think that they can't find their place in traditional religious uh, communities. And he says, actually, through a postmodern perspective, perhaps he may well be able to do so. I've not done justice to his ideas, but I'd like to recommend uh, Geshe Emuna uh, for those who wish to explore this idea further. I just wanna, yeah, I just want to thank uh, Yoel, because I, I, what I do want to say, what I did appreciate about your article is um, the, the two, for me, the two major important things, themes that came out were the humility, intellectual humility, right? And, and um, I think that's a very important voice to have out there against people who claim to speak in the name of absolute God and absolute truth. Um, mm -hmm. And that, that I think is very valuable. And your second piece, which is your personal, um, I think it's, it's very much part of who you are, educationally and personally um, is leaving space for questioning and always leaving space for students to question and not to be afraid to question and know that they don't have to die from question. Um, and Johnny, I once had a student who was like paralyzed because she was asking these questions and, and she was terrified to open Rav Shagar. And I said to her, don't be so afraid, open Rav Shagar, you're going to be fine, right? And so so the idea of, al of allowing people to find paths that will work for them. And I agree with you, but the silver lining I think is very valuable. And so that I think we can certainly agree on. So for that, I thank you. Okay. I want to thank uh, Dr. Yoel Finkelman. Uh, we didn't go through your bio. Uh, if you want to, uh, you can send it to us and we'll we'll link to it. He, he lives okay. in Beishemish. He used to be the curator of, I don't know what, English language, no, like uh, English language stuff at the National Library of Israel. He's the curator of the Judaica collection at the National oh. Library. He's now currently fine. Did you find yourself yet? Are you still finding himself? No, nah, no, nah, I'm taking some time off from silly things like employment. <laughs> okay. Uh, if if, uh, if you're looking for a philosopher with a PhD and tremendous experience in curating Judaica, uh, give Rav Yoel a call. He'd be happy to talk to you. Um, indeed. I, indeed. Okay. And I really want to book, thank you. Right? A great book about, um, um, what was it? Already popular literature. Already yeah. popular literature. Yeah. I mean, we'll have to bring you back to talk about, to talk about that because that's really, that's our fascinating bailiwick, you know, trends in Haredi community, which I'm sure you follow as well. Uh, I just want to thank you for taking the time. I really, I just like, I saw your article and I thought, this is a really important topic and I don't understand it. And I think that in the end, I'm glad we had this conversation because I think we agree a lot more than 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 I thought we did before we began, and uh, and I think I feel now that the conversation helped me understand your article in a much uh, much richer way. So thanks for thanks for joining us. I'm glad. Thank you for the invite. Okay, we're going to take a quick break, and afterwards, Molly, Johnny, and I will be back with a bit of a reaction to our conversation with Yol Finkelman. Stay with us. Shalom, this is Rav Johnny Solomon, and I would like to tell you about the services that I provide to men and women around the world. Firstly, if you have a she'ilah, a halachic query or a halachic topic you would like to learn more about as it applies to your life, and you feel that you don't have a Rav with whom you can discuss this question, I offer online halachic consultations. Secondly, 
If you have some theological or spiritual query, or if you're in need of some chizuk, I provide spiritual coaching. And lastly, if you'd like to learn about a particular Torah topic, I offer one-to-one learning. For each of these services, you can book an appointment for a small fee at my website, rabbijohnnysolomon.com, which seamlessly, with the magic of Calendly, then appears in my online calendar. And within a few minutes, you'll receive a message with a Zoom link. Thank you for listening, and I look forward to talking with you. Okay, we're back. Uh, we just had a fascinating conversation with Yoel Finkelman. Uh, Molly, Yoel sort of said that he's, he seems, seems very unconcerned with the effects of postmodernism. He said, in the end, what I got from him was, yeah, you're right, it's a problem, but most people don't really fall into the, the, I would say, the trap of postmodernism. They don't fall into it. And, and, you know, in the end, they're happy to have a conversation with you about real things. And uh, I said to him, I don't know. Like, I mean, I'm worried about my grandchildren. He didn't think I should be, but should I be? Yeah, so I I, I do think so. I do think that, and again, like, you know, we need the sociologists to go back and figure out how exactly this line went from, you know, postmodern thought to critical theory, deconstructionism. There are so many movements that have been taking place. Um, so, like, where exactly the lines are and how, which movement moved to what, you know, I'll leave that to the, to the professors of, again, of, of sociology. Um, but the bottom line is that I definitely think that we are living in a time where a lot of the um, tenets that a lot of people do attribute to postmodernism, reign. And again, I, I, I will talk about, uh, I lost my face here, but off the top of my head, moral relativism, cultural relativism, um, no absolute truth, um, um, games of power versus games of trying to seek out truth yeah, and uh, meaning. I don't want to talk to you as a philosopher. Fine. I want to talk yes. to you as an educator. Okay, so what does that you mean? You teach young people. Right. You teach young Correct. people. So, so, what does it mean? So what it means to me is, it, it, it's like, true. Are you seeing this in your yes, students? Yes, I am absolutely seeing it in my students. I'm sure you're seeing it in your students, um, both of you. I'm sure we're seeing it in our in our schools. Um, I'm sure we're having, we're having conversations with our kids in which this all comes up. Um, I think it's really important. So I'll say, and again, you know, you all think, ah, that, not that many people are really these absolute relativists. I don't know, I, you know, I don't know how many are, are complete relativists, as he's saying, but somewhat relativists, um, kind of like, framing through the lens of this stuff definitely for sure and i think that there's a crisis in our youth and it's and actually what's happening is that postmodernism feeds people or whatever word you want to use right and maybe and i would still say a postmodernism is a piece of it even if it's not the whole thing but it feeds people who are thirsting for meaning for values for um structure for um purpose it feeds them nothingness um, again, it can feed them a little bit, right? It's like it, it can be a little candy, maybe some, you know, white carbohydrates, but it's missing the uh, stuff of life that we need. Um, and we need to be very, very comfortable transmitting, like, do you think of Soloveitchik? Again, I'm sorry, I keep quoting the same Rebbeim, but these are my Rebbeim. You think of Soloveitchik could say, we don't, we can't know anything about anything? Right? He would say, We can't know a Kaddish Baruch Hu, and again, since we're in the Amim Noraim, so Harini Naif Vodecha, we can't know God. All right. He would talk about um, uh, intel- the, what he calls the uh, redemption of the intellectual and religious drive, which means we can't 
claim to know absolutely what God wants from us with 100% certainty. Um, and we shouldn't be arrogant about it. And, and, and any religious um, thinkers or, or, or a group that, that goes to fanatical ways and end up speaking in the name of God, and that includes, you know, Christians and, and Islam and, and Orthodox Jews, um, are falling into um, the, the, uh, the, the, the sin of, it's, it's idolatry, right? And, and, and they need to have catharsis with their religious experience. At the same time, the rub would absolutely say, I think with most thinkers, um, until the postmodern era, where now you have a few interesting thinkers who are trying to figure out how to make postmodernism work within Judaism, we absolutely have. There are absolutely things we can say about the way God behaves in the world and that we are enjoined to behave that way. Right? We just we just we just quoted the Yudgimomidot over and over and over. We are enjoined to live according to those values. We're enjoined to believe that those values mean something. Um, and those are among a whole host of other values and truths and dogmas that we might not a hundred percent understand completely, but there's a big, big difference between saying I don't have the full picture and I have no picture. And when I say I have some picture, I'm not just saying, you know, I have a picture that I constructed in my head because it works for me. No, I, I have, I'm holding on that the difference between, um, Gershom Shalom said this, and with this I'll end and move to Johnny, but the difference between a sign and a symbol, okay? A sign is a meaningless, um, you know, picture that you make to signify something, right? So if I want to make a stop sign, I happen to make it uh, a five-sided red sign. But there's no actual intrinsic relationship between the stop sign and the idea of stopping, right? It, it was just a, it's a socially constructed idea to represent something behind it. A symbol is something else. This is Gershom Shalom was talking about Kabbalah. But he said, when the Kabbalists use symbols what they're, what they're implying is that there's something about the symbol itself, even if we can't fully understand the truth, that reflects in however pale away the actual truth that it's representing. Does that, does that make sense? Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So if they say, I, we have this I do, Molly, I, I have to say, I'm going to take, take what you said, but turn it to Johnny. You know, like, it's a really fine line, it seems to me. Oh, we, we believe in absolute truth. But just not the absolute truth, like the religious fanatics who I don't okay, like. Okay, but but Ruby, Would they speak in terms okay, of. Okay, we'll turn it to Johnny. Johnny but I'm isn't that what you are? Let's. This is RZ Weekly. We absolutely are striving for truths, and we absolutely also hold the humility of knowing, like those two hands, that we are that we know that God is there, and we know that He's trying to tell us truths, and we're searching for them, and we also know that we're human and fallible. But it's not one or the other. Going back to Kohelet, hold things with so one I, hand I and don't give up the other hand. I think those extremists, those extremists, would say, uh, we've, we, the pendulum has swung to such a degree that our young people are losing meaning, Correct. and the reason why young people are drawn to those extremists, and and especially the people that the modern religious Zionist Orthodox community finds so dispiriting is because they're thirsting Correct. for some truth. So we need to they're tell a better story. They're thirsting for some meaning. And when we, have, when we, when we equivocate and say, mm -hmm. well, I think Correct. there's some truth, Correct. but I'm not entirely sure So we sure what need to tell our are. truths with more positivity, even while we are not going to go into brutish fanaticism. I think there's a way to do that. Johnny. You know, I, I mentioned at the end of our conversation how uh, Rav Neuwirth provides a pathway to make sense of some 
expressions of what he labels postmodernism, although admittedly he's talking about a diluted version of postmodernism, not hard postmodernism as, as we defined, which he doesn't address and he certainly uh, rejects. Uh, what uh, Rav Yolb is basically speaking about is how we need to be humble, and this is a message that we've revisited many times, oftentimes quoting Rav Lichtenstein, who basically has emphasized how people who claim to know with absoluteness, you know, express arrogance, yuhara, but that doesn't negate the fact that there is absolute truth and there is the absolute, the divine, and that our striving is to be in relationship with God uh, while not claiming to be God, obviously. Um, I think that the concerns that Mali spoken about of how our generation has taken uh, ideas reflective of postmodernist thought or derivatives of it, because I'm not so hung up on language. Hook, line, and sinker uh, are very dangerous, but while it's valuable to discuss language uh, to a point, and you both know that I was somewhat reluctant in terms of this conversation, not because it's not meaningful, but I think language is important, but reality is much more substantive. And the reason why uh, religious Zionists or, or, or non-religious Zionists or anybody for that matter are invoking the language of, of postmodernism in terms of describing trends in the world is because there are trends in the world. And whatever we view to be the root of that, we are clearly not doing the bestest of service in terms of responding to what's going on. So our task is to look at uh, those who've thought about these matters carefully and have considered ways to deal with this delicate question of can there be multiple truths and yet an absolute truth. I mentioned Rabbi Sachs, I mentioned Rabbi Neuvoth, we mentioned Rav Shagar, and there are other thinkers uh, in that genre as well. Uh, but we certainly shouldn't allow it to be, or to the word allow is ridiculous, we shouldn't uh, let conversations be had where dismissive ideas about core values, which we believe to be foundational to Judaism, are expressed without challenge, simply because it's a fad and trend of what's going on in our world, because some of these ideas are very uh, fleeting, and we mentioned Kohelet before, we should be wary of fleeting ideas overtaking timeless ideas that we attempt to represent. So I, I will just, I'm going to wrap this up as, a, as the layperson here. It just seems to me that for all Yoel's frustration, it seems to me that the, the only way forward, like, all, you know, Rav Shagar is just not popular. I mean, it's popular in very small uh, you know, groups of, of thinkers, but your average student just can't read it and won't read it, isn't, in, isn't interested in it. And, and your desire to find the right framework without giving a sense of certitude and a sense of identity and a sense of, um, I would say, you know, pride and strength in the truth in which you believe is ultimately much more dangerous than the, than the possibility of speaking those truths with power and with pride, speaking them with a sense of authority and, say, and, and having the humility to know that it's, you know, you're, you know, not to be a fanatic. And I, I don't know, I just think that, I think we see it bear, bear out time after time after time that you know the only way like if, if you want to play on that field if you're trying to use the language of postmodernism in order to to sort of make it palpable to judaism you've already lost 
because the whole idea of postmodernism is antithetical to the idea of ultimate truth that we that we that we believe in, and uh, that's just the way it seems to be to me. Okay, there's obviously so much more to say. We are way out of time, but I think it was important to wrap up. I want to thank everybody for joining us. I want to thank Molly Brovsky, Rob Johnny Solomon, um, and my son for making our music. Do us a favor. If you listen to this podcast and you like it, which of course you do if you're listening to this, um, give us a positive rating in iTunes. Tell people about it when you're, I don't know, you're on your commute. You're like, RZ Weekly, you guys have to hear this podcast. It'll help us uh, you know, spread the RZ word. Have a great week, everybody. Bye now.